Well, they've signed the CBA. So what's next for fantasy baseball? I'll ask Jeff Erickson about that and a whole lot more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 15th. It's show number seven of the 2022 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Tuesday tout edition for you. We'll have our feature expert interview with Jeff Erickson from Rotowire and Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, discussing the new CBA and its effects on fantasy baseball, his dozen or more drafts this season, how Tout Wars changes its rules, and he'll have comments on player moves including Nelson Cruz, Clayton Kershaw, and Carlos Rodon, and his boons and banes for 2022. It's another big expert interview. It's another big Tuesday tout edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Jeff Erickson is in the house. We are going to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday tout edition, part one of our feature expert interview with Jeff Erickson from Rotowire and Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Jeff, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks for having me again, and uh, it's always a pleasure uh, just talking shop with you, Patrick. Talking about baseball, uh, for a while there, of course, we were probably all worried that we weren't going to get as much of a chance except talking about labor issues and politics and all that kind of stuff for the whole season. So what a relief. And uh, talking about that, other than relief and the excitement that we'll have a season, what were your first thoughts when you heard about the deal? Well, I was broadcasting live. I had Lenny Melnick and Andrea Lamont on with me. And uh, so anytime I have both of them on with me, a podcast, a lockout in. So I knew that. I was just thrilled. I was just relieved. I think that was the first response. The second response was, okay, how are the players getting screwed? Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that was just natural to think that way. But that's just the way I'm wired. Uh, but I, mostly just thank goodness. Thank goodness. You know, obviously I work in, you know, my livelihood depends on fancy, you know, games happening. So I'm glad about that. And, you know, it, it's just, I can't wait to have a full season of baseball. They found a way to get 162 games too. I'm interested in how they're going to do that. I, I didn't, I noticed that they put into abeyance uh, some of the things that they've done in the past, like the man on second in the 10th inning and, and a couple of other mm. things. Uh, they p- kind of tabled whether they're going to do anything about shifts, I know. But uh, one thing I didn't see, are they going to return to seven inning double headers to try to squeeze the 162 games in? I don't know this authoritatively. I thought they said they're getting rid of that, uh, which I hope so. I understand why, you know, 2020 it needed to happen. Last year, I thought that was one of those things that, okay, we introduced it and it's not going away, and it really should have gone away. Uh, same thing with the man on second uh, and, and extra innings and all that. Just get rid of that stuff. I, I'm, one thing I'm really happy about is the universal DH, though. I am really happy to see they're bringing that back, and for good now, too. Uh, you know, Madison Bumgarner aside, I don't really want to see pitchers hit. I just don't. Well, Michael Lorenzen can hit. Yeah, you can, but put them in the outfield. You know, it's yeah. the Angels. They can do that what they want. You know, they do what they want. But uh, for the most part, you know, we're not compulsory hit it, pitchers hitting. Uh, so I'm happy with that. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and somebody on it suggested, you know, what they need to do for to eliminate 19 inning games? 
play two extra innings if nobody wins it's a tie and move on just have ties they used to have ties back in the olden days like abner double dave times i think you know the sun yeah, goes down you the got sun went down yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah had no lights um and the ball was all dusty and you couldn't even see it so yeah um i i'm fine with ties kind of but i love weird baseball i love watching those games that you know when when I'm on it's on TV. I don't know about in person if I love it so much. And you got the kids to go to bed and things like that. Oh, my kids are now teenagers, so that doesn't matter as much. Now it's my wife that wants to go to bed, so uh, that that's the turnaround. But I like those long games. I understand you know the stress it puts on a bullpen and all that. But I also think modern managing of pitching staffs in the bullpen, where you're trying to do max effort with all these guys and no pit, no reliever ever goes more than an inning, and that that's that's the consequences. Like yeah, I. All right, maybe they need to encourage doing that less often. And I think that's one of the things they're actually doing by limiting the number of options uh, for the you know, players. You, know, you can only get a guy option five times in a year now. That's a good thing. Um, I, I think it's going to for it's going to value the pitchers that can go get five, six outs, you know, should be able to do that. I, I don't think that's that it's not splitting the atom. It's, you know, it's retrofitting. Maybe it takes a while to, to change that again, but I think it's something that it was a good part of baseball. It needs to be redone. I always thought it was particularly uh, confusing to me that when a pitcher would come in and he'd get his one inning, but he'd only throw six pitches to do it. You know, maybe come right. in, get a first pitch, uh, a double play, and then he'd strike out the next guy. So he's four pitches and his inning's over. And, and nobody in the dugout says, nah, let him go back out there. It's only four pitches. No, we got to follow the rules. He, the seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning. And it, the other thing about it is it, it does seem to kind of constrain our ability to build our rosters in fantasy baseball, and I know Major League Baseball is not all too concerned about us, but it no. would be certainly more interesting if we knew that there was going to be a healthy complement of relief pitchers that we could count on to get 105 innings in a year, 95 innings in a year, something like that, instead of 55, because they would uh, immediately assume more value and create more opportunities for us to figure out ways to build rosters in a way that we can't do right now. Patrick, I'll settle for 80. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, I, they don't have to go all Scott Sullivan on us here or, or Mike Marshall, if you want to go more, uh, you know, old school there, but uh, at the same time, yeah. You know, you also don't need to go roll this Chapman where he throws 55 innings and calls it a season. I mean, yeah, I just, let's, I think you, you, there's, there's something missing there as part of that there. Now the problem is the genie's out of the bottle. How do you, pitchers train accordingly they pitch accordingly you know you know your velocity is king and every team has four guys that throw 95 well maybe they have four guys that throw 95 or uh, because they're going max effort and they know they just have to throw 15 pitches and then they're done uh if they know they have to go a little bit longer well you know you're going to throw probably won't throw as hard and maybe there's a lack of efficiency i get that um your routines change uh it, you can't just change that on the fly, but I, I, I'm kind of curious to see what happens. Just the optioning rule, it's going to limit some of the roster shuffle, which I'm happy to see. Me too. And the the news report said the deal does include measures to reduce the playing time manipulation of young players and uh, to get the best prospects into the game sooner. Essentially, I think by giving draft picks, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of sandwich picks between the first and second round to teams who get an eligible prospect onto their opening day roster. They let them get a certain amount of defined innings, a full year of service time, and sufficient award consideration. And I assume that means, you know, so many votes for MVP or Rookie of the Year, Cy Young or something like that. Right. And then they can uh, 
then they can qualify earlier for arbitration and they don't have it's in the club's interest now to get these young really talented kids into the game earlier what do you make of this attempt to reduce all the service time shenanigans well it's it's so surreal that baseball is the only sport that does this you don't hear about NBA top draft pick. Oh, we're going to keep you in the G League for three, you know, uh, for uh, three, you know two months, just so you don't have to be, you know, have that contract. So tying it to service time is always going to create that that sort of edge, that friction. Uh, but like, you know, I, I'm I'm glad to see if it. I hope it works. We want to see Riley Green if he's ready. We want to see Spencer Torkelson. Those are two guys that the Tigers are talking about. Miguel Cabrera said something very telling the other day. They asked him how much time he's going to get at first base, and he, he said. You know, they want to see Torkelson at first. Uh, give me all the DH spots. He's fine with that, you know, because and that was revealing. It wasn't even it, it, the answer was, you know, he answered about Torkelson when asking about himself, which I like to see. It just shows what the Tigers are thinking. And the you, you know, the Tigers side and Baez, they traded for Barnhart. They want to win now, yet they still had Illich voting against that one offer, which was kind of that another bit of friction, which is another whole other story. But, uh, I, I think it's really good if they, we get rid of that. Uh, if we get rid of the service time manipulation, I, there'll be some franchises that still do that. I bet uh, Pirates, for instance, seem like strike to me as a team that's going to still do that because they have they're nowhere close to winning this year. Um, you might see the Reds doing that now that they're dumping off all their viable guys, and the A's doing the same. You still see that happening there, and I bet you service time will still and manipulation will still happen as well because of that. Do you think that? Pittsburgh and Detroit and teams that might be, well, not Detroit so much, but Pittsburgh for sure, and the A's and some of the other teams that clearly appear to be going for another tanking season. And there are, there are the new CBA has some other anti-tanking sort of tweaks to the rules that, that uh, there's a draft lottery rather than a your right. worst, worst gets first kind of a thing. But in the meantime, Given the fact that the the competitive teams and the teams that are interested in doing well, which I think is probably going to be more of them, especially if it doesn't hurt you in the lottery, which prospects, when you look at the, the top prospects, do you think really do have a chance, other than Torkelson, to be in Major League Baseball this year and to be fantasy relevant? You know, I think that's a starting point there definitely is, uh, you know, the, the two Tigers. Uh, others that I would look for? I don't think Julio Rodriguez gets the immediate call just because he had such an abbreviated run, but obviously Bobby Witt comes to mind. Adley Rushman, now that's Baltimore is notorious for holding guys down, so that might not be a great example, but he's someone that I would think maybe you be kind of uh, encouraged to be up right away. Shane Boz, I mean, you know, maybe they don't limit him as much this year. Uh, maybe that they raise, they decide, okay, let's keep getting him up there. Same with uh, Josh Lowe. Now, I think another shoe has to drop in terms of like playing, you know, just finding, creating the playing time for him. But that might be another example there where that happens. Uh, but you know, O'Neill Cruz will probably see up even, even with the pirates factor there. Cause he did get the call up already. You might see Reed Deadmers right away for the angels too. Those are some of the, some of the possibilities. I, I think the Royals is one of those teams I really want to look at though. Cause there's Witt, there's Nick Prado, uh, there's MJ Melendez. There's three pretty big time prospects. Maybe they're more inclined to go get those guys up sooner rather than later if they get off to a good start. Remember, they got off to a good start last year. They just couldn't maintain it. And part of the reason they couldn't maintain it, I'm going to guess, is that they didn't have the talent, which uh, maybe is another spur, especially for a team that really does need um, gate 
paid attendance to try to balance the books. Well, not to balance them. They balance them not day the balance one from the, the TV. <laughs> yeah. But to, yeah. if they want to make money at it, then they, they've got to get some something on the field that people will pay to see. And for the last couple of years, that hasn't been super obvious in Kansas City. But all of a sudden, if you bring up these three young guys, you could build a whole marketing campaign around them. And I, I hope that they see it that way and that they get these young guys up there because... Yeah. Uh, Kansas City, I will give Kansas City some good faith. Like opposed to Pittsburgh, for instance. I mean, they went for it. They won a World Series, for crying out loud. Um, and they did go all in. They traded away the prospect for a win-now trade. You know, they did... They did the right things. They traded away, traded for Johnny Cueto. They traded for uh, a number of different players. So they went for it, and when they when they had their window. Now they are the the, the argument is they have a shorter window, and I, I don't disagree with that. Um, that that uh, might be the issue. But today, you know, you know, I look at them, and I'll give them a little bit of credit when when they make their decisions, as opposed to like the Pirates, who, you know, they they've made one go for it trade in the history in their last fifteen years, and it blew up badly. Uh, is the Henry McCutcheon? I mean, not the McCutcheon trade, but the uh, um, the Chris Archer trade, uh, which was blew up so badly in their face, unfortunately. But the the, the problem is they've never gone far in free agency. That I think the, the biggest deal that the Pirates have ever tried to make in free agency was three years, thirty nine million dollars. Uh, I mean, which listen, it's an outlay, but it's nothing compared to the overall market. Um, so they don't get full faith and credit like other teams do. On the occasions when I go look at Twitter and see anything from Pittsburgh fans, they are very down on the ownership in that city because of the sure. penury that they approach the free agent situation with, arbitration, they fight everything, they leave guys down as we've been talking about. It doesn't seem to be a team that's trying very hard, and that brings us back to this draft lottery. It's top six teams, which is more than in the NBA, but it's pretty similar other than that. Uh, the measure is supposed to enhance competitiveness by encouraging teams not to tank while still giving them a shot at that first overall pick. And I don't know what the details of the lottery are. If if the, if the you're the sixth bottom guy and your percentage is 5% and the, and the bottom bottomest guy is 25%, then there is still an incentive to be the bottom bottomest guy. But if they're all evenly split, which would be the fairest way to do it, get every, everybody a 17% chance, then maybe that's good. But in the NBA, Jeff, they've had this lottery system in place for years, and they still have fairly rampant tanking going on all over the place. How confident right. are you that Major League Baseball has solved a problem with this particular solution that hasn't worked? Not at all. Not at all. It's working like a charm in Cincinnati and Oakland already, right? I mean, Pittsburgh, it's working like a charm. Cleveland hasn't signed a Major League uh, player yet either, if I recall correctly. That was at least true before the lockout that it was Cleveland – O Oakland and Cincy all had not signed a uh, major league player. I don't think that's changed at all. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not confident it changes things all that much. I, I don't think it really uh, changes the incentives all too much. You know, so I'm not a bit, I'm not really too um, confident about that. I'm not confident about it either, just because I've, I've been a baseball fan many, many years going back to the big red machine days and, and yeah. perhaps even earlier uh, the sort of 1970 Reds when they got beat by Baltimore, the Brooks Robinson catch off Johnny Bench that broke everybody's heart. So I've been watching the game for a long time, and the one constant in it has been owners trying to screw the players. 
and basically to tell all of us that it's the players trying to screw them and that they're all losing money. You know, nobody ever made a dollar yep. running a, a major league team. So I'm not sanguine about the uh, likelihood that they're going to, a lot of them are going to change their spots. So uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Jeff Erickson from Rotowire and Sirius XM. And Jeff, you manage the player projections at Rotowire. That's your baby. Uh, how are you managing now as the news is just dribbling in? It, it, we were expecting this huge explosion of free agents and trades, and it's one here today, one here four days later. So I think the last two days it's exploding. Uh, and in fact, while we're talking right now, the A's just traded Matt Olson. Uh, they traded him to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, for uh, Christian Pache, a couple other uh, – uh, three uh, three minor leaguers there uh, for uh, Ryan Cusick, Joey Estes, and Shea Lang- Langoliers. So I'm I'm scrambling right now. You know the Tatis news happened right before my radio show this morning. Had to adjust his projection while I was doing the show. You know the Acuna news happened yesterday that he's not going to be ready until May. Oh, I I think it's like I'm on pins and needles right now, Patrick. But how do you do it? Like, what do you, you, are you just literally flying by the seat of your pants here? Or, of course, there are some underlying formulas and what have you, but it's playing I'm putting, time. Well, it's mostly, I mean, a lot of times it's playing time, but obviously there's qualitative differences too. Like, I, I, when I downgraded Tatis, I didn't do just playing time. I downgraded his power too because it's a wrist injury. And I worry about sometimes, you know, the long-term effects of that when he comes back. Uh, but, but, you know, I, you know, a lot of times we have in our, our admin area, you can just reduce a player's playing time by X percent. So I'll immediately do that right away. And then later on, I'll do a qualitative sweep. But if I, I want to hit that playing time right away because people are drafting constantly right now. Um, so I, I'm trying to adjust to that really quickly. When we have news that affects a player's role, like if, we, if and when Kenley Jansen signs, I'm going to have that might be affecting two or three different teams, not just the team he signs with, but like the players that are residual there. What happens if he doesn't sign with the Dodgers? Okay, am I going to bump up Lake Trinan? Is it going to be somebody else? Uh, you know, even a little minor deal like Ian Kennedy signing with the Diamondbacks on Sunday night. What does that do for Mark Melanson? He was one of our quote unquote safe safe closers. Is he safe now? I don't know. Uh, and have to dig into that a little bit more. So, you know, it, it's right now I'm putting out fires. Uh, it's not systematic. Uh, I try. You know, uh, that's just for projections. You know, and then I'll try to do see how that. Affects see what that does in terms of our our algorithm on the site, how that changes his ranking. But then I'm going to try to do a a qualitative search later on, and I'll go, okay, do I really want Acuna here? Do I really want Tatis in the sixth round? Or is he really someone I'm going to take a chance in the third round? How am I going to adjust accordingly? So I'm going to do lots of things like that. What does this say for Freddie Freeman, other than obviously he's not going to be going back to Atlanta? Hello, Los Angeles is my guess. Uh, But maybe it's the Yankees too, who knows? But it's a preemptive thing. You know, it, it means that they're not signing Freddie Freeman. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, I, I, you know, and I had heard on Ma- Major League Baseball Radio, MLB Network Radio last night, that the Braves were doing everything they could uh, financially making in, in terms of years to make it a competitive offer. But for Freeman, it was a debate. Does, does he want to finish his career in Atlanta? Or does he want to go back to home in Southern California? I think we're going to find out an announcement on Freeman later in the day would be my guess. I think this is, this is, I wouldn't say it's a preemptive strike. It's probably a reactive. Okay. We made, we did our best and he's informed us. It's not, not good enough. So, okay, we've been working on this. Let's pull the trigger. And to be fair, if Freddie Freeman wants to play in a city that's not Atlanta, He's a free agent. Good on him. Yeah, yeah good for him. I mean, if he if he wants to go back and be by his 
by where he grew up or whatever, so his kids can be closer to grandma and grandpa. Who's to argue? Yeah, it's not a pejorative at all. No, it's Absolutely. not. No. Let's go through some of the bigger deals. I said earlier that there haven't been that many, but there have been a few. Uh, starting with Nelson Cruz signing, he's going to DH in Washington. You mentioned how good it is that we're going to have the DH in both leagues. Uh, and I know you're a Nelson Cruz aficionado. Over the years, you've had a lot of oh, yeah. Nelson Cruz. What effect does signing with the Nationals have on Cruz's expected fantasy value from your point of view? Well, it's kind of a lousy lineup around him. Uh, you know, earlier on Sunday morning, it was rumored he's either the Dodgers or the Padres are in on him. Uh, that they, they were the favorites, but that just shows how little we know in the rumor cycle, right? Um, he gets the bat behind Juan Soto. That means he's going to have a lot of RBI chances. I wouldn't be surprised sometimes they pitch around him because behind Cruz, what do they have? I mean, they have Josh Bell and dot, 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 right? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of scary. I mean, I like Lane Thomas a little bit. I like Cesar Hernandez a little bit, but those guys might be batting at the top of the order. You know, Carter Keyboom has yet to lower the boom on opposing pitchers. Uh, Luis Garcia has been frustrating. You know, Victor Robles has been more frustrating. You know, there's, there's a, it's a, it's a pretty thin lineup. So I don't think he's going to score a lot of runs. He's not going to get there with his legs. He's, you know, so, but, you know, it's a good ballpark to hit in, especially when it heats up in DC. In the summertime months in DC, that's a good place to launch home runs. So I like that. Uh, Interesting to see him in the National League that he doesn't have to pay a tax now on that, so uh, the the playing time tax. So I'm happy he's in the league. I got him at a discount on Thursday night, the night they and I did the uh, Rotowire Online Championship with the NFPC 12 team league, uh, and I got him in the 22nd round at a 12 teamer. I guarantee that I won't get that again now that we know he signed somewhere. Pretty hard to believe that people thought he might not sign somewhere and would push his draft slot that far down to, to right out of the belief that you know there's a one percent chance. But gosh, it didn't seem likely that Nelson Cruz wasn't going to sign somewhere. Uh, the Dodgers re-signed Clayton Kershaw. I think he went in the eighth round in my TGFBI league, something like that. And I, yeah. I was actually in on him at that point, but I just got sniped. Uh, to what extent do you think we should read this as a vote of confidence from the team that should reflect uh, how much we're willing to to go for Clayton Kershaw in our fantasy leagues? I don't think it's that big of a vote of confidence. It's one year. Um, it's about the same price as a qualifying offer. Uh, Carlos Rodon got a better deal than Clayton Kershaw. So just go on your way back machine a year ago and digest that for a second there. Uh, it tells you what season, uh, season Rodon had, but Rodon with shoulder problems, you know, the, the White Sox did not tender an even off a qualifying offer for Rodon. He still got a two year, 40, $40 million deal better than Kershaw's deal. One year deal. If you go back home with the Dodgers, um, I, I, I think they say he's healthy. They say he's going to be ready for the start of the season, but he hasn't done a whole lot of throwing in the off season either. You got a late start. I'm still a little wary. I, I I would take I would take him at a discount. I think you're not going to get that discount now that he's back with the Dodgers, though. Well, you mentioned Rodon. Uh, the San Francisco Giants have really done some great things over the last couple of years with the pitchers they acquire. Yeah. We all know that, and they'll have a chance to work with Rodon this year. First, two questions: What's your reaction for Rodon's fantasy value? because he's moving to a team that clearly knows how to handle pitchers better than quite a few other teams. But also, is there something going on in San Francisco with their training staff, with their medical staff, that makes them more confident in something like this? 
sure seems like they have a developmental path uh, that's working. You know, you look at Logan Webb and look what he did. Uh, you look at Gossman, you look at Desclafani. It's hard not to conclude that they're knowing what they're doing from a developmental side. Uh, the, the physical side, maybe. Uh, I'm not quite as confident about saying that. Um, I think our friend and colleague Justin Mason said it best. I'm bumping up uh, Rodon's value, and despite that, I'm still not paying the price where he's going to go. Because I think his price will go up, too. You know, I think those discount days are gone with Rodon now that he's with the Giants. That's a great landing spot for him. Uh, I still worry about any pitcher that's dealt with shoulder problems, though. I mean, I just... You know, in, I, I could be wrong. I, in, but it's not. I think the difference is in baseball. You miss out on one guy that beats you. He doesn't beat you. There's there's twenty five other breakout guys, starting pitchers for that matter. And you don't have to get that one guy because it's twenty three man rosters. You know, it helps. It pushes you in that direction, but it doesn't. It's not. It's not a championship winner if you don't get him. It's not the biggest whoop in the world, but uh, former Twins closer Alex Colome signed with Colorado, where the bullpen situation is certainly far from settled. What do you think Colome's chances are of being significant as far as fantasy goes this year? And what's the general shape of the Rockies' bullpen now that they've added a, a former closer? I think it's. Uh, I was going to make a shape joke, but I won't. Uh, I, I will choose. I'll do a name joke instead. I will choose Column B. Uh, and not go with uh, Alex Colome, but I, I think that uh, he'll probably be the lead guy to get uh, save chances. I just I've made it a practice over the years, mostly to avoid Rockies bullpen uh, battles there, because yes, you can get twenty saves, but you might, you can also get a five six ERA. We've seen it a lot of times. More often than not, I, I, I think it's just not worth the uh the, the ratio costs uh when you're chasing saves especially when it's he's not like locked in it's not like they you made him like they gave him a four-year deal he's definitely going to be our closer we've given him this job security and then he's still got to hold off carlos estevez he's got to hold off uh robert stevenson yeah uh, i i just don't think that uh i'm going to pay that price i, I also am not going to chase Orioles saves either well, the other reason not to chase Orioles saves is that saves are almost always 50% of wins, right? <laughs> so, yeah, not not too many opportunities there. Uh, the Twins acquired uh, right-hander starter Sonny Gray from our team, uh, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, part of what looks like a teardown going on in there. Maybe Joey Votto will come up and play in, in Toronto. I don't know where he'd play. I, I was wondering when you're going to get there on that. Are you going to connect that dot? Uh, it's a good deal for Tony Gray. Uh, it's a good deal. I mean, the Twins, I mean, the thing is, I, they gave up their first-round pick, Carson Petty, but he pitched in two professional games so far. He's an 18, he was an 18-year-old. Throws really hard. We'll see him in 2025, 2026. Great. Uh, but, it, it, you know, this is, this, had a, this is a team that did a half-ass attempt at contending for a couple of years. It decided, it, you know, okay, well, we, we lost money in 2020. We're going to tear it all down again. We have to cut. We have to manage our costs all over again. And it's really disappointing to see that because I think, you know, between letting Castellanos go, letting Wade Miley go for nothing, I, I don't mind trading away Barnhart because I think uh, Tyler Stevenson's going to be pretty good. So I don't mind that so much. But uh, trading away Iglesias, Rizal Iglesias the year before for nothing and replacing and not replacing him. You know, they said, well, it gives us payroll flexibility. To do what? To pocket it? You know, and that's that's some pretty good flexibility there. Uh, it, it's frustrating to see because Sonny Gray's not even that expensive. He's twelve million this year and thirteen million dollar option. I think it's a team option. Even it's not even a player option uh, for next year. So if he's good, the Twins are absolutely picking that up. Uh, and if he, it, it's kind of risk free, it's it's not even that expensive, Patrick. 
so that's the thing that gets me. I, I get that, he's, that Carson Petty's a good young live arm, but don't don't call it a baseball trade. Don't lie to us like that. You know, the day before Nick Crawl, uh, who's now he's he's Castellini, he's taking the bullets for the owner Robert Castellini. But he said we're going to try to you know level out the peaks and valleys. What peaks? What peak did we have in the last fifteen years? We lost two playoff games in Atlanta and the the the, the lockout shortened season, whereas expanded playoffs a thirty one and twenty nineteen that's our peak. Come on, you know, you know this whole sustainable winter BS. Don't you know? Just call it for what it is. I mean, don't don't try to snow us under like that. So frustrating. Yeah, the uh, general manager of the 76ers got fans to buy in by calling it the process. And he said, right. you know, you're in for five years of terrible teams, but at the end of the five years, we're going to have a contender. And, you know, kind of they do. So uh, maybe the fans could be convinced to go along with that. But how does Sonny Gray benefit? How much does Sonny Gray benefit, I guess, uh, moving from Great American Ballpark, which is a fairly Homer-happy location, to Target Field, which is not? Yeah, it's it's definitely a benefit. Although it's funny, in 2020, he actually benefit. He was better in Cincinnati than he was on the road. Uh, it's also a sixty game sample, sixty game season sample fluke. I think more than anything, uh, and he just could have picked the right opponents at home and the wrong ones on the road. You know, it, it, keep in mind they were playing just the central teams that year, so he could have faced like the. Cleveland or, you know, he could have faced like the Chicago White Sox and Cincy and, you know, the, the Kansas City Royals on the road. I, I, I didn't get all granular, but I mean, point being is you, you, you don't want to break big too much out of that. But yeah, Tyler Molly was way worse than Cincy last year. Gray was way worse than Cincy last year. And Minnesota's actually trying to win. And Cincinnati's not. Um, he won't have, uh, he won't have a, a Eugenio Suarez playing shortstop for him. Uh, so he's got that going for him as well. Although I'm not quite sure who the twins are going to roll out at shortstop right now after their, you know, their third trade of two days on Sunday night, Connor Falefa, we thought was going to be their shortstop. Now he's a Yankee. Uh, it could very well be that they put or Gio Urshela at short. You know, I, I, I'm concerned about the infield defense point, point being is, especially because Donaldson's actually a good defender too, and he's not going to have uh, Donaldson. So we'll see. Maybe, uh, there's still another shoe to drop in Minnesota. Could be. Uh, I was going to say that it looked like uh, Kiner Falefa was going to be the shortstop, but even if it's Gio Urshela, it's still a step up over Eugenio Suarez uh, defensively at short. I think Urshela can field the position at least adequately, and uh, nobody accused Suarez of that. Uh, but the Twins also traded Mitch Garver. They got back Gary Sanchez. They got uh, rid of Donaldson's contract, I think, more than anything, and took back Urshela, who could yeah. play third or short. So they seem to be doing things in a way. But what do you make of the fantasy values of all these players moving around, assuming that the dust has settled? Well, obviously, Donaldson goes into a better lineup, not necessarily a better park. Yankee Stadium gets his rep as being a great hitter's park, but not necessarily for right-handed power. Um, I, in fact, I, it's actually negative for right-handed power. Uh, so that might not change a lot, but he is going to have a really good lineup around him. Uh, the, the Yankees took on all of his contracts. You're absolutely right. That's one thing that the twins wanted to do after going out and getting Greg, you know, maybe that was one of the things they kind of made this more payroll neutral in the long run. But, um, I think it's also sets the stage for another subsequent move by the Yankees. Uh, I don't think they're done. Uh, but it, they were able to add, 
Connor Falefa to play shortstop for a year until Anthony Volpe is ready. I think that they are, you know, I don't think you're going to see, I could be wrong about this one. This might not age very well, Patrick. In fact, by the time people listen to this, I might be wrong, but I don't think you'll see Carlos Correa or Trevor Story in New York. I, I think that they, they have now with Donaldson and kind of Falefa, they feel like their left side of the infield is pretty solid there. Uh, it might squeeze Luke Voigt a little bit because now LeMayu is probably going to have to play first base, Labor Torres playing second base. And now we know Matt Olson's not part of that Yankees pitcher to picture too. We'll see if it's Freeman or somebody else, but I, I, I think something's still going to, another shoe's going to drop in the Yankees, but it, it's still confusing. It's still a lot, of, a lot of things and behind the plate. I mean, it's no more Sanchez. Are they really going to go in with Higgy Ashioka? I, I don't know. I, if you look at his stat cast metrics, they says, suggest he can hit a little bit and he's better defensively. See a full-time catcher. I'm not quite persuaded yet. Kiner Falefa caught. That's not happening again, I don't think. No, I, I don't I, think, I think so they, either. Just yeah. uh, throwing out possibilities, and I think that one should be thrown out. Yes. Do you think there might be issues, and this has nothing to do with fantasy, but Donaldson had some fairly nasty comments to make about Garrett yes. Cole over the whole sticky yeah. thing. So now you've got a new guy coming into a clubhouse with full of established veterans, and one of the established veterans, the highest paid established veteran, I'm going to guess, is uh, maybe on the outs with the guys just coming in. I, I assume they're going to be able to let bygones be bygones, but I don't know. Kind of want to be a fly on the wall to see that uh, first interaction, right? Yes, indeed. Rotowire's news analysis said the Yankees adding Donaldson and Kiner Falefa, put, as you said, is going to push uh, DJ LeMahieu over to first more, and that puts Luke Voigt's possibility for playing time at risk. What chance is there that Luke Voigt gets traded out as part of the next wave of moves by the Yankees as they try to rationalize what they've done so far? They've got a lot of first basemen. Yeah, they, they sure do. And, you know, they have a lot of guys that should be playing DH, too. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton qualifies an outfield in our leagues after getting enough outfield time last year, but I don't think that's something they want to see too much of a reprise of. You still got Judge and, and Gallo in the corners and Aaron Hicks. I mean, how many how many games can you project for Aaron Hicks? Because he's their only real true center fielder. Unless you want to play LeCastro or NCRT out there, you don't really want to see Judge in center or Gallo in center. Uh, it, it's it's a kind of a island of misfit toys a little bit there. They don't you know unless Hicks plays is healthy and, and you know that would be a huge if he was and still had the same range and still had the same arm. I mean Hicks is not young spry chicken either. Uh, you know it. I, I think there's you know it's something that could still happen there and that might be the starting point there. They find someone find a center fielder as part of a deal there. And you know uh, Luke Voigt had a really good season a couple of years ago from a fantasy perspective especially. And, you know, around Baseball HQ, we say once you display a skill, you own it. Yeah. I think Luke Voigt, if he ends up in the right place, could be a heck of a guy to add to a fantasy roster as well as a major league roster. I haven't lowered my projection for Voigt yet. I think that, yeah, he might be on a team, another te- un- unidentified team at some point in time. You know, I, I, always, I always thought maybe Ol- a, a part of any Olsen deal would include Voigt going back to the A's, for instance. I thought that was some that could have fit for the Yankees a little bit. Uh, but I don't know. You know, the other thing is, you know, talking about the residual effects of all this is it's one less landing spot for Anthony Rizzo. Uh, you know, Rizzo was rumored to be part of the, uh, a, a pivot for the Braves if they didn't get Freeman. Well, no, they traded for a player instead. So that's someone else that's still out there looking for a job. And ultimately that could hurt Void a little bit too. You know, we'll see. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that are still happening, Patrick, and we're going to be, really scrambling up until draft day until weekend is this weekend coming up 
you know, hopefully we'll have a lot of this dust settle by then, but I'm guessing there'll be some big name guys still without jobs. You do a lot of drafting. I've talked to you before, and you have a lot of fantasy teams on the go at any given time. What has been your philosophy in the drafts this year that you've done with all of the uncertainty? How did you treat the players who were free agents when the draft started? Some of them have ended up on teams like Nelson Cruz, for instance, but how much discount do you put on a a player based on how likely you think he is to find some place to play? I mean, I think the more tenuous the skill set, the more tenuous the role is too, right? You know, we know Kennedy Jansen, he's going to close wherever he signs. I don't think anybody's going to sign him up to be a seventh and eighth inning guy. So I didn't really apply too much of a discount to him. Uh, I didn't apply much of a discount to Trevor's story because he's going to do what he does. Uh, same with, certainly it's true with Freddie Freeman. I'm not really worried about park effects with Freeman that much. I, I think wherever he ends up, he's going to do all right. Uh, but you know, other guys down the lower on the lower rungs. Yeah. I'm going to worry a little bit more. Uh, I think Nelson Cruz definitely slipped for some people. and I was willing to take the discount there, but that was the first time I had drafted Nelson Cruz this year, believe it or not. And, you know, I've done over 10 drafts. Uh, so that that's a pretty low rate for me. Uh, there are fewer DH only guys this year too. Was another factor as far as one of the reasons why I might have been a little hesitant on Cruz because there's a, there's a bigger tax to using up your utility spot. Toronto signed left-handed starter Yusei Kikuchi to a three-year deal. Going to Toronto and going to the AL East from Seattle in the AL West, especially with the uh, denouement of the uh, Oakland Athletics and certainly Texas is still kind of struggling to find their feet a little bit. What do you think of Kikuchi as a fantasy potential asset for this year? He's a complicated guy because he really fell off badly at the second half of last season. Was at the on the All-Star team actually for the Mariners. He was a representative and then as the team surged, he faded, which was it's an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, signs with Toronto, which okay, it's ALEs. We don't like that. The ballpark is not as friendly as uh, Safeco, but there's the Pete Walker effect. Uh, I, I believe in organizations. I believe in pitching coaches and development. You were asking this about the Giants earlier. Well, I like what Toronto did with Robbie Ray, and they've done with some other pitchers. I like Milwaukee. I like Tampa Bay. I try to get pitchers on those teams because I think they do a good job with them. So. I'm intrigued a little bit. I think I'd like to see what they can do with Kikuchi. Do changes, picks, pitch mix. Wonder if maybe they can help his stamina a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's the next Robbie Ray or anything, but at the same time, in round twenty of a fifteen-team mix mix mixed league draft, sure, color me interested. A trade involving a pitcher with mixed tout support. Uh, Chris Bassett goes from Oakland as part of the teardown to the Mets for a couple of pitching prospects. What's the fantasy effect for Bassett moving from a uh, non-contender to a wannabe contender, at least? Certainly one that's paying like a contender, that's for sure. Um, I think it's a net positive. Uh, you know, Ballpark-wise, it was one good pitching ballpark to another pitching ballpark. Not as much foul territory, but at the same time, Home run suppression is definitely good there uh, in taxpayer field. Uh, and, you know, I, I look at uh, a little bit of the other things going on. There. I, I, I mean, I think they'll have a better defense than they've had in previous years, uh, as long as they don't play Robinson Cano in the field. Uh, but at this, I, I think that the Mets are going to be a good team. They're going to get him some run support. I think this is a good chance for him to maintain what he was doing in terms of lasting deeper into games and getting wins. I think he's a good innings guy. He's a good at home run suppression. He doesn't walk a whole lot of batters. So I'm interested in Chris Bassett. He's not a huge strikeout guy. I think you need to pair him with someone that get, you know, gets a little above average in strikeouts to kind of make up for him. 
but he's kind of like Kyle Hendricks. You, you get one of those. You don't get multiple of those type of guys in your rotation. Aren't they all taxpayers' fields, except for yeah, maybe San Francisco? Because, <laughs> well, it's because you know, it was City Field and that City Bank got bailed out in the uh, a, a little bit uh, in the previous housing bubble, so we kind of joked about it and called it taxpayer field. Yeah. Well, there's other reasons to call them taxpayer field uh, all all throughout Major League Baseball. Uh, Very interesting so far, Jeff. Let's take a quick break, uh, do a little promo for Baseball HQ, and then we'll finish our discussion in just a minute. Jeff Erickson writes and podcasts for Rotowire and appears regularly on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. And he'll be back in just a second. Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time today, our Baseball HQ team and player analysts are digging into all the player news from trades and free agent signings, broken limbs, car crashes, visa issues, and pending asteroid impacts that will end baseball as we know it. In playing time tomorrow, analyst Dan Marcus assesses the current rosters in the National League Central, including Hunter Green in Cincinnati, a musical chairs game in the Cubs infield and the rotation in Milwaukee. In alternative formats, analyst Matt Beagle has his 2022 draft guide for points leagues. Longtime listeners will remember Matt as our American League analyst here at Baseball HQ Radio, and he was terrific at it. And those are just a few of the literally dozens of great articles, reports, and commentaries that you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. Player performance validation and facts and flukes, those news updates and playing time today, roster forecasting and playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers. There's fantasy market analysis in the Market Pulse, injury analysis in Matt Cedarholm's column, The Big Hurt, and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research. As well, there are tools like the player projections updated every day, depth charts, daily dashboards, pitcher matchups planners, bullpen indicators, batter consistency reports, complete pitcher PQS logs, there's potential surgers and faders, and all bunch of other leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. When you add it up, expert content plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues and they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business baseball hq radio and welcome back to baseball hq radio patrick david with jeff erickson from rotowire and sirius xm and jeff you mentioned you thought you'd handled about 10 drafts so far this year uh, how many still to come Probably another 10. I, you know, the thing is, I'm trying not to count. And I know it's if you include score sheet, it's over 20 uh, total. Uh, I do four score sheet leagues. I'm in one Stratomatic league. Uh, and I was in, I think, 17 Roto leagues last year. Uh, so it'll be roughly the same area there. There's a couple that haven't like sent out that, hey, let's start a, set a draft date email that I haven't gotten that one yet from a couple of my leagues. And I love all my leagues, but secretly I'm like, one less league would be fine. Um, I did do SCARF, which is the Southern California area, particularly like it's modeled off the Bay Area one that uh, Lauren Michaels and Justin Mason used to run out. Obviously, Justin's still involved in it. Sammy Reed's in that one. Uh, there's a lot of good, good folks. There's a New England one. There's like 10 of them now, and they're making an overall contest. So the Southern California one did their initial one on Sunday night as part of that. So I added one, so now I have to find one to subtract somewhere. Any players so far this season, Jeff, that you have on a lot of your rosters? Yeah. Um, Dylan Carlson, I think, is on five rosters so far. I like how he held his own, managed the strike zone very well. As a 22-year-old, he's going to play an important part of that uh, St. Louis Cardinals offense. 
Uh, I have Xander Bogarts, and I think in four, four leagues. Uh, like him as a building block guy that you get at four or five leagues, actually. Uh, at least on the NFPC environment alone, I have him in four leagues. Uh, but, you know, he's not going to run a ton. He, he's not a statue either. Uh, some might argue about his defense, but, well, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but good, good average base power good lineup i like that that is a good building block i've been drafting frequently late in the third round early in the fourth like i've I've had later round picks in a lot of these snake drafts and i've been getting them there i haven't done too many auctions in fact too many would be zero i haven't done any auctions yet so that's going to change things a little bit except for xfl i forgot about xfl which is back in the before days uh so it's hard hard to remember sometimes about that but uh, in terms of like any of the snake drafts I've done so far, Bogarts has been a frequent guy that I've landed. And XFL, you guys drafted in November, and, and it's a very deep keeper league. You have lots of keepers, so the auction has really different dynamics than a standalone like reentry draft league where you have to price everybody because you guys have priced you guys have really a lot of guys on yeah. your rosters in that yeah league. inflation is pretty huge there. Uh, you know, there's minor leaguers. When you keep a guy as a minor league and he becomes a major leaguer, he's Priced far less. Uh, his salary goes up three, $3 per year as opposed to 5 per year. You don't have to sign long-term contracts, so you just get to make that decision every single year, which enhances keeping a guy for an extra year or two. Uh, and it's OBP instead of batting average. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why the prices from there aren't going to apply to other leagues. In all of your drafting and all of your talking with people who do drafting through your uh, podcast and your and your work at SiriusXM, you've talked about drafting a lot. You've been in drafting a lot. Have you seen any trends or situations develop that you think that a lot of drafters still might be missing despite all the coverage? Um, I think if you're starting your drafts now, you might get some sticker shock on closers. Uh, the closers are going earlier and ever. Now, keep in mind... Uh, one format drives that in particular, that's the draft and hold format, where you don't have free agents, you draft 50, uh, 50 guys. With so many viable players still free agents, so many teams have unsettled uh, closer jobs, You know, there's been a push to get those solid closers, to try to make sure that you've got at least one guy, because you're not going to be able to pick them up in free agency. Uh, moreover, there's the raise effect. There's multiple teams now that don't designate a single closer. The Rays had, I think, 14 people get saves last year. The Reds, they had multiple people, a pitcher, lots of pitchers get saves. The leading save getter on the Reds was Heath, were Heath Henry and Michael Gibbons with eight apiece, neither of which were on the opening day roster. Uh, the Mariners have four or five viable guys, depending on what happens with Ken Giles and Andres Munoz. But, you know, they, they spread saves around in the past, too. Uh, you look, you know, there's a lot of teams with that sort of uncertainty. So I think there's a little bit more of a, when you're in an overall contest, you're going to want to push up saves. Maybe if you're in a standalone league, maybe it's viable to punt saves, but I don't like going in a draft knowing I'm punting a category. I feel like you have to be perfect in other categories. I'd rather adjust on the fly if the prices are too high for my liking. Okay, I won't pay it. I'll, I'll get it elsewhere, but I don't want to knowingly give away a category. In my TGFBI league and in a lot of other leagues that I was following, I saw Hendricks and Hader were going mid-second round, late-second round, yes. early third at the latest. And for a lot of guys who are going into their drafts this, this coming weekend and the weekend after, that's too much. But the question is, okay, so you, you're going to eschew taking those guys in favor of loading up and hitting or starters or something you think is more valuable. But where's the next tier and how much are they getting pushed up? How much is Razor Iglesias getting pushed up? How much is uh, Jordan Romano of Toronto getting pushed up? Because these guys, while they're not in the Hendricks-Hater category, 
for dominance, they sure seem to have a pretty solid grasp of the of the role, if nothing else. And, and uh, something I've learned over the years is if you have nothing else to go on, grab the guy that's got the f- got the ball the first time there's a save up in the in, on the team. Well, it's funny you mention Romano because that's not 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 a hundred percent certain that he's got the role. I that the Blue Jays might not be done. I mean, given especially how. They've managed the bullpen in the past where they they pretty assiduously made it clear that, you know, it's not one guy with the role. Now, the last month and a half of the season, two months of the season, they used him pretty exclusively as a closer in part because there was attrition with other relievers. Uh, So, yeah, and I love his skills. I'd love Romano. I've I've grabbed him in a few leagues. But the fact that he's part of that next tier, the next tier is getting all getting pushed up. There's like nine or ten guys that you're confident getting saves. One of which is Mark Melanson, who no longer were that confident in because they signed Ian Kennedy. Now, oh my God, Ian Kennedy's changing things. Well, he was he was a closer last year. You know, teams tra- real life teams traded for him. Uh, you know, so you know we'll see if that it, it, what, how that flushes out. But to answer your question, they're getting pushed up too. You know, it's funny. I did mixed labor uh, February twenty second, uh, and I'd done some draft and holdings before where I saw the second round Hader Hendricks combo going and all that. In that league, Hendricks went 3-5, Hader went 3-7. So I remarked, okay, this is more reasonable. I'm going late. And Fred Zinke, who uh, I do the podcast with on Tuesdays in Rotowire, we were doing a live stream of that draft. He's also in this league. He goes, actually, Jeff, the first closer last year went at the 4-5 turn. Uh, and there was two closers then. That was the early drafting of closers. And we're talking about 3-5 being the reasonable cost all of a sudden. It's a matter of perspective. It just shows it. You better be ready. It's going to get higher. And there certainly is an argument to be made for getting uh, a Hader or a Hendricks early because it does establish you in a category, which is a plus. The ratios are going to be pretty good, albeit over a relatively restricted number of innings. So um, I can see the argument. I don't buy the argument personally for my own draft management purposes. But So, I mean, the thing is, you just got to know who your targets are later. You got to know, okay, who am I going to be, you know, if I'm going to skew the first two tiers of closers, and you will. If you're not going to be willing to take a closer in the first 10 rounds or eight rounds or whatever the cost may be, I mean, it's getting pushed up higher and higher. And sometimes it's by the sixth round, they're all uh, taken. You better know who my shakier closers are, what I'm doing or what I'm going to do. If I'm just going to punt it entirely, how do, how do I adjust? You know, I better be really good in wins and K's if I'm going to do that. Another approach, of course, that some guys try to adopt is, wait till the very end in the reserve rounds and try to grab five or six of the next guy in line situations in in volatile bullpens. And I, that's a, a workable tactic, I think. it's. I don't think over the years it has proved to be particularly successful, but occasionally somebody will win a league doing that because they get three closers for a buck each or right. you know a dollar in two reserve rounds. So that can work. Uh, it, that's a possibility, but uh, I've heard people now saying it seems to be a, a meme in the in the in the uh, fantasy baseball toutage, you're not going to get saves through fab. You'll get some, but it's not like the conceit is that you you have like, you're, you can pick and choose about which ones come in. Everybody's going for those guys. Closers get hurt. Closers lose their job. And in, a, in a, an environment where closers are more volatile and where, you know, fewer saves are being rostered, you know, we're all fighting over the same guys and you're spending more in fab to get them. That's the other thing. That's the conceit. It's not like you're getting one dollar fab bids here, one dollar fab bids there. You're, you're you're having to spend more. You know the the news cycle is so tight now, and our industry is so strong in covering them. You've got you know every site has a as a, a bullpen analyst. Doug Dennis does amazing work for HQ. 
Ryan Roof does great work for Rotowire. Uh, you know, and go on down the list. Greg Jewett is, is, is fantastic in, in doing, uh, you know, analyzing the bullpens. Uh, Aaron, pa- uh, Aaron Pags is fantastic. I had him on the Rotowire podcast. Point is, there's the, every, they're looking too. You know, you're not the only one that that's gets that you pick and choose over the top guys. Um, you got to fight for them, and you might be fighting for a half job. You know, it might be where you're not getting a full time closer when you pick them up either. And of course, there's tremendous risk in the fab market if you invest a fifth of your fab budget in a guy who gets one save and then uh, gets hammered and gets tossed on the on the discard right. pile when they when they grab another one and you run out of money pretty quickly if you're doing that uh, you're listening to baseball hq radio patrick davitt with jeff erickson from rotowire and sirius xm and jeff you're also on the board of tout wars and before we talk about the latest tout news how many leagues is tout now running Let's see. There's ALNL mixed auction and head-to-head auction on Tout Weekend, but there's also the 12-team uh, snake draft. There is the 15-team snake draft, uh, and they're I'm forgetting one of that in the draft and hold. So there's seven teams, uh, right? Uh, seven leagues right now that we are running in. Roughly, I would say about 90 touts now. Um, it, it's a big number, uh, but yet our industry is so huge that it's still, you know a tenth of the people doing it now it's great you see justin mason's tgfbi you mentioned that you're doing that mm-hmm. um it just it that's a good illustration of how many people are providing great t- content not everybody in our industry is in tgfbi either and so it just it just shows and i love it uh the whole trick is like trying to be including for more more different avenues backgrounds uh you know mediums uh and trying to find different ways and that's one of the reasons why we added the 12 team Mixed leg a couple of years ago is just to bring in another level. Same thing with the head-to-head league. I remember when those new leagues got added, and uh, another thing that I thought was really important was it broadened the uh, appeal of Tout Wars to more fans because I heard the other day on maybe on one of your podcasts or on SiriusXM that more people play points leagues than any other format yep. now. And for a long time, Tout and Labor and, and the other experts leagues didn't have there was no points leagues, which seems weird if we're trying to serve the widest possible market in fantasy baseball not to have it. How does the board decide which leagues formats to add and when to add them? Uh, we don't have a formula. We talk about it every year, you know, and decide, like, can we adequately run a league and give it, you know, the attention it needs while still adding more? Uh, we talk about, you know, you mentioned it's Todd Zola mentioned that the ESPN at least is experienced. There is 75% of the leagues out there are points leagues. Those are people coming over from football, many chances and, and many opportunities there, uh, or just, and it's a younger generation. I, I there's a critique of, of towers, um, that I think is pretty valid is that it, we're, we're old. Uh, we've been around for a while. We're trying to get younger and, and you know, we're trying to bring broaden backgrounds too. Uh, and it's. Yeah, and the, the I think some of it is outreach needs to be better, uh, and some of that is playing different formats, I imagine, too. Uh, and, you know, the thing, baseball as a whole is dealing with this as an issue. Uh, let's face it, the uh, fan base of baseball is older than other sports, uh, and I, I think that's something we need. You know, we've got such a great young generation of players. They're so exciting and fun. You know, we got to find ways to keep letting people know it's awesome, and I think baseball itself does a bad job of pronouncing itself, and we're probably mirroring that a little bit. 
and it, baseball does do a poor job. And, and of course, we can we could talk all day about the, the way that the game has adjusted in how it's played on the field. Uh, you and I are friends of Joe Sheehan, and, and he's been on this for a long time, more strikeouts than singles. Nobody's stealing bases. Everybody's standing around. It's boring to watch, basically. And and I, I heard Theo Epstein on uh, Bill Simmons' podcast uh, a year or so ago, and, he, and Epstein at the time was working for Major League Baseball in some kind of program they had to try to make the game more exciting to bring more people back into it. And he said there's three things that people want to see, triples, stolen bases, and great outfield catches, the, like web gyms. And there's so few balls in play anymore that you very rarely see a triple. You very rarely see a stolen base. And uh, there's not enough fly balls out there that are meaningful to generate a lot of web gem type plays. So definitely something's got to be done. I I don't know what it is. Do you? Yeah. What a great play out there and out in the outfield. Oh, wait, we're not going to show you a replay because we got to go to three minutes of commercial. Also, I mean, let's let's face it. That's, uh, you know, television is still the boss. I mean, that television drives everything. And it drives the revenue for the owners and, you know, locks in profits, but it also serves as their master as a way too. And, you know, as playoff games take longer because there's more commercial breaks. Yes. And every pitch is so important when you do three true, true outcomes too, when every pitch is such a grind, well, of course it's going to take more time between pitches because every, so much is weighing on each pitch. Uh, I get it. Um, and you don't want to say do worse, you know, you, you know, and I, I get why they're having a pitch clock and I, we saw it and, in the Arizona fall league, the, how it operated. And I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, you know, they, they were running with the pitch clock in first pitch Arizona this year. And, you know, Spencer Torkelson got called out on a three, you know, in a three, two count. Cause he didn't get back in the box and nanosecond uh, on time. And even the pitcher on the mound's like, come on, I want to throw this pitch. Cause it's the developmental league too. It's like, you want to see the best pitching prospects versus the best hitting prospects. It kind of, it made it a joke. Uh, I, I've used this story before. I was sitting with Keith Law during this one particular game, um, and he, he, you know, he's with the uh, Athletic. He's a scout, and a, a scout for one of the teams turned around. and He goes, "You're going to write about this s, aren't you?" After like, there's like three strikes, three times in a row, like something was called by the. But it became an ump show, and yeah, it's up to the discretion of every umpire. But you know, you do that, you're going to open yourself up to that. So I'm worried about some of the measures that are being done. To, to counteract that i understand it needs to be done but it's still really i think the devil's in the details and it's really could be frustrating too it can and uh, i have to tell you when i walked into the first ballpark in arizona last fall and i saw a clock counting down it just it just broke my heart because i go to baseball games so i don't have to look at a clock that's the like the it's one of the main things about it there's no clock and and it Lots of people have talked about it on a philosophical bent and, you know, if you build it, they will come, but they're not coming to look at a clock. They're, they're coming to, to get away from a clock. Uh, right. And so many efforts. I understand you have to bring in new fans and you have to bring it. I get that. There's this tension here because most moves, most uh, rule changes are done to bring in new fans, but the, your most dedicated fans are are the ones that always they're, they're the ones that always suffer. 
Yeah, they do. And, and But that's the same everywhere. And I, I think over time, a lot of people overreact to changes and they say, I've been watching baseball for 45 years like me, and I don't like it because it's not what I'm used to. And then after a season or so, I go, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Like I was I was against uh, on-base percentage in leagues for the longest time. And then right. Tout comes along and basically says, let's try it. And it's better. It just is. And even though it's not what I'm used to, it's a, it's a my, it's now my preferred way to play, and I suggest any league that, that can, that they should. Uh, and one of the hallmarks of Tout has been your guys' willingness to try new things. You had OBP, you have the swingman position that uh, got adopted a few years ago to try to address the imbalance in the rosters between the fantasy rosters and big league rosters. How do you guys consider rules changes? Um, you know... A lot of times the league will be a lab. You know, the 12-team league, we decided, all right, we, we hate how saves are being managed. Let's do saves plus holds a little bit there. It's been a push. I hate holds as a rule, as like a stat. I think it's a garbage stat, but it does include other relievers, makes them a little bit more valuable. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating in drafting the better skilled reliever and then not getting your save out of it there. So I get it. Flip side is that, you know, you know, you know, you have to deal with a rule that's imperfect in and of itself. But uh, we, I mean, we we sometimes solicit input from the other talents. Oh, every year we meet, and you know, a couple times usually. And you know, as we're ramping up, we're always having conference calls. But at First Pitch Arizona, we usually kind of do a state of tout, and we talk about uh, what's worked, what's not worked. Um, you know, rules changes. Has this worked or not? You know, we talked about how you had to adjust OBP. That's one of the things we talked about. Like, should we do this? Yeah, we like OBP better than batting average. Uh, same thing with the 12-team league, uh, league that we implemented. We did, that's where we decided to do saves plus holes instead of saves. That's where we decided to do innings pitch instead of wins, just to try that out, too. It's kind of a – we don't want to call it a laboratory league, but in a way it is sometimes. Um, and then sometimes it just sticks. Head-to-head stuck. And now that we're having some fun. And then, you know, we get some years – you see, like, the unintended consequences of the scoring system you use, and you say, okay, we have to tweak it. Uh, and one of the things we decided is, okay, we're going to choose an existing scoring system, whether it's CBS or ESPN, but we're going to let the champ choose which scoring system for the next year. How did that work? It's worked out pretty well, um, especially because the head-to-head players know which systems work better. It's better than us trying to implement our own. You know, If we don't have the experience playing points leagues, go to the points league veterans. They know what that does work. Chances are it's going to have a better system, and you're not going to have some. You're not going to have as many fluky consequences. Do you solicit suggestions from the grassroots? At times, yes. Uh, it, you know, we there are times when yes, we we want that. There are times we we don't want to make it open ended. I think we want to be able try to be targeted solicit. You know, target advice, not just what would you change, but we're thinking about this. What do you think about this? I think that, and I think that's a better way to go. Otherwise, there's a lot of back and forth. No one wants to get 75 emails, uh, and if you're on a big group list like that, that's what happens some years. So we, we're trying to cut it, cut down that clutter a little bit. You guys did institute the swingman position, where one fewer outfielder and then the 23rd roster slot can be a pitcher or a hitter, and you can go back and forth during the season, and it does give you a lot of roster flexibility. But most of the guys seem to go with hitters for the position, at least at the yeah. draft. With the seemingly permanent change in how rosters are constructed at the major league level, Jeff, it seems like we haven't kept up in fantasy baseball with 
especially in only leagues, all the players are gone. All the hitters are gone after the yeah. draft, and the half the pitchers are still left in the pool. Has there been any thought to just shrinking the offensive roster and expanding the pitching roster to more like, you know, 13-12 or even 12-13? Yeah, a little bit. We thought about that. Uh, we'll see what happens with this optioning rule if that that remains the case. It might change a little bit there with the churn. Um, but you know, you mentioned the swingman. That's only for AL only and NL only that we do that. Uh, for mixed leagues, we don't do that uh, yet. But uh, the, the whole point is, you have to only carry four outfielders. You get that extra spot. Most people do choose to get the extra hitter. Um, the other reason that I've been, you know, I've tilted at this windmill, and I I found myself on the 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 losing side of this argument, but I would limit IL spots. If you really want to have more free agent churn, if you want to find better, more viable bats on the waiver wire, don't have an unlimited IL uh, because that's just, that's one less player that's just available there. Um, and, you know, a lot of our game is making decisions. Do I hold on to or cut this guy that's struggling right now? It kind of takes that away a little bit in the mono leagues. Uh, in a mixed league, you still have that tension, but in the AL and in only leagues, a guy is getting playing time. He's going to be rostered, period, uh, at least as far as hitters go. Uh, labor, it's actually different, too, because you don't get to shuttle guys between the active active and reserve. If they're, they're bought in the auction, you're starting them or you're cutting them, period. You know, you don't really have that sort of ability to bench a guy when he's struggling. But, uh, yeah, I, I could see maybe, ben, you know, someday skewing having two catchers. I know a lot of people would be happy about that. Other people, you know, have been. I've been playing this the same way the whole time. I like having two catchers. Give me three. Uh, but you know, I, you know, cause, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I could see it someday. I'm open to it. Uh, I wish that Major League Baseball would handle their rosters differently. We'll see. We're going to have 32 teams eventually someday in the major leagues, uh, and that's going to be more roster spots that are available. Maybe that enriches the hitter pool again. And lower the level of replacement value, I guess, because there's going to have to come up with what another 50 guys to to fill the rosters plus the minor leagues and they're going to be the yep. 50 guys who couldn't get into the big leagues earlier so sure. just lowering the uh lowering the bottom i think a little bit you're listening to baseball hq radio patrick davitt with jeff erickson from rotowire sirius xm fantasy sports radio channel 87 on on the xm part anyway i always like to wrap up these discussions jeff by looking at some boons and banes these are guys who are above value uh, provide good value if they're boons, bad value if they're banes. Uh, I know you've been talking about this a bit on your shows recently, so let's start with your boons. Sure. Players who look like good value in the American League. Who's a batter? Who's a boon? I am taking the chance on Riley Green uh, with the Tigers. I think he's going to get the playing time. Um, I think that uh, his price is still affordable. You know, you're late two hundreds. You know, I think two ninety was his recent ADP. Um, that, that's someone who I'm going to be getting a lot of there. So don't bid on him in Tout Wars, uh, uh, Patrick. I, I don't want you taking him from my precious arms there. I, you know, I think this is secretly you're trying to get some intel on me. And so you can, you know, you never, never, never know when the sixth place finisher in Tout Wars, what they want, what you, what they're going to do. Yeah. What do you uh, mean secretly? Yeah. I know, I'm overt exactly, about it. Overtly. <laughs> yes. Very good. Um, you know, I, I like Heimer Candelario. Um, third base isn't that deep. And I think that uh, he's going to get a lot of playing time, even with Torkelson making the team, because Torkelson's playing first. Uh, and that, it's an improved Tigers lineup, so his counting stats are going to improve too. So that's a guy I've, I found recently I've been rostering a lot. In the National League, who's a batter who could be a boon? I'm going to go in the 200s again, or close to. Actually, this one's late 100s, Colton Wong. 
Uh, he's Tommy Edmond at 50, 50 draft slots lower, uh, maybe 80 draft slots lower. Uh, again, I think the Brewers lineup will be a little bit better. Uh, I, I'm going to want to get him, and then you get some cheap stolen bases. We're always hurting for those stolen bases. Uh, I, I think he's a he's a fun ad to go ahead and try to get. Uh, I think Adam Duvall is underpriced too. Uh, he led the majors in RBI last year, little known bar bet uh, that you can win because he split between Atlanta and uh, Florida. So sometimes you look at uh, the you know stand, like rank leaders of a given year. They don't combine the two teams. You don't see that he's up at the top. But I understand he's not. everything's not going to run as perfect as last year. And now that we know they're not going to get Freddie, but they do have Matt Olson. It's still a good lineup. Uh, so give me, give me some Adam Duvall. I just be aware that he's going to hurt your batting average. As long as you can withstand that hit, I think the counting stats will more than make up for it. Over to the mound, how about a American League pitcher who could be a boon? Um. I, every Ray pitcher, uh, but Luis Patino and Drew Rasmussen are two guys that I really like. Uh, for the price, they're 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 coming in pretty cheaply. Uh, I, I think you can get pretty good value out of them, and I like Carlos Hernandez on the Royals as well. Um, I, strikeout rate hasn't got there with Hernandez yet, but uh, he's got some plus pitches. He's a, I think he's got more polish than some of the other guys at that level. And I know the the Royals have a crowded rotation, but I really think Hernandez is really solid. And in the National League, a pitcher who could be a boon? Um, I like Ronzi Contreras really late in drafts uh, with the Pirates. I don't know if he gets the call right away, but I think he's a guy that has huge strikeout ability. Uh, he was the main part of the Jamison Tyon deal last year. I, I think he's someone that I've been trying to get in the end game all the time. And over to the Baines we go. How about an American League batter who's a Bane? Bad value. Uh, never, never too soon to start fading Adalberto Mondesi. Um, I, I just don't. You're, you're gunning. Yeah, you're so reliant on him getting those stolen bases. If he doesn't get them, you're, you're hurting in that category. If you do get him, great. But he's a couple category player. You might not. You're not going to get batting average. You're not going to get RBI. You might get some homers, but not a ton. And you know, for for the speed that he has, he doesn't score as many runs as you might think. Plus, you had uh, Dayton Moore talking about how he's not going to be an everyday player. He has to be managed. And I'm never willing to pay that fourth-round price or whatever it takes to get him. So that, that's definitely a bane. And I'll throw in Jose Altuve, too. Uh, I worry about uh, the lack of speed. I think power might drop off. Um, he can go from 30 to 15 homers pretty quickly. And who's your batter in the National League who's a bane? Uh, you know, I, one of the guys I, I, that I'm not really thrilled at getting is uh, – a lot of my reds, Jonathan India. I mean, I love the on-base skills, but I worry a little bit about the lineup around him. I think he's getting slightly overdrafted compared to the other second baseman around him there. Back over to the mound, an American League pitcher who could be a bane. I, I probably am not going to touch a, a couple guys uh, that, that uh, you know that, that worry me. Lance Lynn. He's everyone considers him a little bit of a as a horse. He's safe. Well, he had shoulder issues a little bit last year. He's got gopher ball issues. I think there's another drop-off. I think he's more like, I, I need to be him to be in the 100s, and he's not going there. And a National League pitcher who's a bane? Uh, another National League pitcher that I, I am not touching is Luis Castillo. He might not be a National League pitcher by the time you hear this, uh, but the thing I don't like about Luis Castillo is he got fewer and fewer swings and misses with his changeup. That's his go-to bread-and-butter pitch. I kind of think that 
batters are starting to see that pitch coming out of his hand a little bit better. Uh, they're knowing to lay off it. Um, and when that happens, he starts to walk more guys. He's forced into accounts he doesn't like. He's also, if you look at even his best years, he's not really a plus pitcher when it comes to whip. Uh, you're, you're paying for an ace. I, I want someone that's going to be lock solid and whip. So I'm just not usually paying the price that it takes to get him. Jeff Erickson's Boons, Riley Green and Heimer Condelario of Detroit, Colton Wong of Milwaukee, Adam Duvall in Atlanta, uh, Luis Patino, Drew Rasmussen, but really anybody in Tampa, Carlos Hernandez in Kansas City, and Ronzi Contreras of Pittsburgh. On the Bain side, we have Adalberto Mondesi, Jose Altuve, Jonathan India, Lance Lynn, and Luis Castillo. Jeff, remind our listeners where they can keep up with Jeff Erickson. Uh, you can catch me on Rotowire, uh, most importantly, and we, we invite you to try a free 10-day trial at Rotowire, rotowire.com slash free. There's no credit card. We just want you to try it out, see what you like there. Uh, on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Erickson. Uh, and then I talk too much. I'm on uh, three podcasts a week on Rotowire. I'm on Sirius XM five days a week, Sunday through Thursday. Uh, Monday through Thursday from 12 to 2 Eastern time, and on Sunday from 1 to 3 most weeks, uh, if I don't have a soccer tournament for my daughter. And it's Erickson with a K. Should point that CK. out. CK. CK, right. CK. CK, yeah, good point. And S-O-N, not E-N, in case you're uh, Danish or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Mmm, Danish. <laughs> Well, Jeff, I, I was expecting this would be fun. It turned out to be all of that and more super entertaining, super informational, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I guess I'll see you on uh, Saturday morning for Tout Online, uh, the American League draft. And uh, after that, I hope we get to talk to you again during the season. Absolutely. Anytime, Patrick, can you meet me? It was a, it's always a joy. So uh, good luck on Saturday. We'll have a lot of fun. Jeff Erickson writes and podcasts for Rotowire and is a regular host on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 15th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 7 of the 2022 Fantasy Baseball season. Of course, I want to thank our guest expert for this Tuesday Tout Edition, Jeff Erickson from Rotowire and SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. Jeff is really one of the nicest guys in an industry that's truly loaded with nice guys. And he's a first-rate fantasy baseball player and thinker. It's always a privilege to talk with Jeff, and it's always a lot of fun as well. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. And if your pod getter of choice doesn't find Baseball HQ Radio, let us know about that or anything else that's on your mind by emailing us at bhqradio at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on Friday of this week, the 18th, with our first Friday full edition of the season. We'll have a feature interview with Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Sports, talking about being inducted into the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame, about second-tier closers, cheap value players, and why Tommy Edmond is a trap. We'll have our first Newswatch segments of the year as well. Harold Nichols is back with the National League update and Ray Murphy with the American League player updates. Alex Becky is back with his fabulous frequent flyer commentary, and I'll weigh in with my extra innings comments as well. 
So, Scott Pianowski and a whole lot more coming up Friday on the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. We'll talk to you next Friday. And for now, so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.